You could, all right. Two foundational scriptures on dating. This is more going to be kind of like a conversation more than a teaching, but it's going to be a teaching too. But here we go. Here we go. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14. It's a good habit. If you have your phone, you should be taking notes on it and nothing else. Or looking up scriptures. It should be a good habit for you guys to be taking notes. All right. Say that again. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, right? Yep. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. These are foundational scriptures on dating. And then after I share these foundational scriptures, then I'm going to share a little bit on my own experience. Um, For those that don't know, I've been doing this leading for 21 years. I started when I was 15 years old. Um, my pastor saw a calling of leadership on my life. And so right after a year that I was saved, almost a year, he put me in leadership. So almost right when I was saved, they put me in a leadership role. So I've been leading people for about 20, 21 years. So this is 21 years of experience regarding Things that I've experienced in youth ministry, young adults, church, all that. But I want to give you foundational scriptures. When I, what I mean about foundational scriptures is this cannot be changed. This is not an opinion. This is God. This is what he, this is his heart. Okay, so regardless of your opinion and what you think, this is what the word of God says. And this is what you should submit to. This is what I should submit to. All right. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse verse 14. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? So what is that telling us then? Right. Right, so there is no balance. There's like a big old thing like, don't do it. Mm-hmm. So if you're attracted to somebody that is not a Christian and they want to date you, or they're attracted to you and they want to date you, they're not a Christian, they're not a believer. The answer to that question, hey, I want to date you, is what? No. It's just no. It's no. Well, I could get them saved. No, you can't. You can't. You want, you want, to, you want them to make a commitment, and then you want to see the fruit of that commitment before you actually date that person. Because there are people that once they find out that you want to date, that, uh, that you will only date a Christian, they will quote-unquote, get saved, start going to church. They'll even go to church for a year or two. But if you look at their life, there's no fruit of their salvation. You see? And all they're really doing it is to pursue you. And so these are all tricks of the trade. Trust me, when somebody really wants somebody, they'll do whatever it takes. They'll start speaking in tongues. They'll start, going, they'll start doing all types of stuff. But it's all a deception, see? 
But let's say they get saved, right? And you start seeing the fruit of it. At that point, you could go ahead and determine whether you should date them or not. But fruit is not seen in one or two weeks, one or two months. Fruit is seen in years, one year, two years. Does that make sense? I guarantee you that if you marry, if you're a Christian and you marry somebody that is not a Christian, it will affect your relationship with Christ. I've seen it not once in a while. I've seen it every single time. I've seen it to the point where there are two unbelievers and then one became a Christian. And then the person realized, man, I didn't realize how important it was to marry a Christian until I'm a Christian now. I mean, the lady literally said, I wish I would have known this before. But she was an unbeliever. She didn't know. And so is that person in church right now? No, they're not. Were they in church? Yes. It's a very hard thing when you marry somebody that's not a believer to continue strong in your relationship with Christ. Is it possible? Yes. But it's very difficult. All right? So should you date somebody that is not a believer? No, you shouldn't. Okay. So, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. It says this. It says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. So flee youthful passions. So if you are lustfully thinking of somebody, what does the Bible say to do? It says to flee. Right? Now, in a dating relationship, this could happen. What does that mean? That means sometimes if you are dating a person and these are the passions or desires that you're feeling, for a moment, you guys should not be together. Meaning you shouldn't go out with each other for a season, maybe a week or two or whatever, until your passions calm down. Does that make sense? That's what it means, flee, youthful lust. So that's like, uh, I guess if you're dating and you feel a certain way, you just ask for like a break? Yeah, so in the world, a break means breakup, right? But like here in Christianity, what you would want to do is just, hey, we're both feeling a certain way. And I think if we continue this way, I think we're eventually going to do something. And I think that maybe, you know, we need to slow down in our dating. Or if we go on a date, somebody needs to come with us. Or put a time limit um, when you guys call or talk. I mean, you know, it shouldn't be hours. It should be like, okay, let's cut it off. Especially if that's being aroused by conversations. Because it could could easily be aroused by conversations. Stay away from ungodly conversations. I don't think I need to go into details what ungodly conversations are. (laughs) Can you tell me exactly what? (laughs) Just give me like one or two examples. No, I mean ungodly, ungodly conversations, you know what I mean? Like, you know, ungodly conversations. So, um... 
So stay away from that. You are going to be tempted, especially if you've already experienced certain things when you were not saved, to have those conversations. Right? Don't have those conversations. Wait till you're married. You can have all those conversations when you're married. Does that make sense? Second uh, Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions. All right, Proverbs 31.30. It says, and it's going to mention a woman, but this is also true of men. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Or a man that fears the Lord is to be praised. Right? So what is this saying to us? How many ever met a charming person? Right? They're usually very, uh, you're drawn to somebody that's charming. Right? The Bible says, it doesn't mean that being charming is bad. But the Bible says that charming can be deceitful. It also says that beauty is vain. What does that mean? It's going to die down. It's going to die down. You ever seen all these old ladies that be like, dang, look at, look at that old lady. <laughs> how, did, how did that happen? You know what I mean? At one point, at one point, that lady was beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Eventually, your beauty will fade. Your good looks is going to fade. So if you're getting with somebody solely for looks, the Bible says beauty is vain. Right? Mm-hmm. And the, But what, what does it say? It says, but a, a person, a woman or a man who fears the Lord is to be praised. What is that? That is inner beauty. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a person that will keep boundaries in relationships. You see what I'm saying? I mean, don't get me wrong. Outer beauty is you have to be attracted to the person you're dating. There's no, because there's some people that say, oh, no, you don't. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you definitely do. I mean, it's, it's up there. I mean, some people don't care. I personally do. I care what I wake up to. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you are bypassing the fear of God, if you're bypassing character, if you're bypassing all that solely because they're good looking, it's vain. You're getting yourself into trouble. Amen. Um, also, this is good, too, for people that are planning on dating. Proverbs 16.3, it says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Mm-hmm. Commit who you want to date to the Lord and your plans will be established. So what does that mean? That you pray about who you want to date. You pray about the kind of person you want to date. Why? Because God will establish your plans. Now, when it says your plans, I believe that he'll start giving you his heart for the person that he wants you to date. Not just your heart. Because the Bible says that our heart, our hearts are deceitful above all things. Your heart is deceitful. Mm 
it will mislead you. But when you give this situation to the Lord, now you begin to develop his heart for dating the right person. Now what used to attract you about a man or a woman will no longer attract you. Why? Because now you're developing God's heart for that. You see what I'm saying? Any questions? So let's say if um, you want certain things um, to show in a significant other, but you're saying that God can kind of change that desire. He could change it. I mean, it doesn't mean that it, it will change. I mean, you desire what you desire, right? And God made you to desire that. But let's say your desire is, is um, I mean, it's like, it's fleeting. It's not that big of a deal. And let's say God knows, this is just me talking. Let's say God knows that, you know, he, he kind of knows who your wife is already and, and stuff like that. You know, he'll want you to have, what's important is the character qualities, that person's relationship with Christ. I mean, if you are looking for certain things in them, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. But let's say it's more geared towards sinful desires, then yeah, God will change that. If you're looking at certain things like a body parts of a woman, stuff like that, God could be like, okay, I'm going to change that for the sake of him finding the right woman. Because obviously he gets distracted by that. Does that make sense? So... What's really important is the physical physique of a woman because after a woman has a baby, most of, most of that physique is gone. I mean, let's be real. So if that's all you're looking for, then God will probably be like, let me change that in his heart so he can start looking for worthy things, things to praise, like the fear of God. Now, Proverbs 31 describes a woman uh, it's a Proverbs 31 woman where this is the kind of woman you should look for. I'm not going to get into it. Maybe I'll get into it next time. But as a man and a woman, you should look at Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman. And you should be like, God, give me a wife like that. I believe my wife is a Proverbs 31 woman. She's a hard worker. She's able to create stuff to make money. She wakes up before everybody. All her children and her husband's. If you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, this is what she does. Right? These are the qualities you should look for. It doesn't mean that you're going to be like, oh, let me start looking for like an uglier woman. No, that's not the case. You could look for a beautiful woman that dresses well. Same thing for men. You could look for a really good looking guy that dresses well, all that stuff. But that's, not the most that, that's not the most important thing. It's, it's the character. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Okay. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any questions on these scriptures? Okay. Again, these are foundational, right? So these are things that, you know, they cannot change. It is what it is. All right. So now I'm going to give you... The good stuff. Well, this was the good stuff, but this is uh, my experience stuff. And from what I see, most of it is biblical. All right. Number one, 
This is what you should look for, dating the right person. Do they have a genuine prayer life? Some people say they have a prayer life. All they really do is listen to worship music in the morning. Some people put on worship music, you know, but they really don't pray. They really don't talk to God. So they put on worship music, they're brushing their teeth, they're folding their clothes, they're doing all this stuff, but they're not really praying. Prayer is really like you really talk to God. Right? Prayer is not just opening your Bible, reading it, 10 minutes, praise God, that was great. Closing it, that was prayer time. That's not prayer time. That's reading your Bible time. Prayer time, you're actually talking to God. Right? How do you figure, how do you know if a person has a prayer life? This is how I know. It's the fruit of their life. If they're not changing, like going towards God, if they don't have more of a passion for God, most likely they're not praying. Because every single person that I know that has a consistent prayer life continues to grow in their relationship with God. It's not like, man, I've been praying for an hour every single day, and for some reason I have no passion for God. That's not going to happen. Does that make sense? Does this person, is their devotional life a priority? That's important. That's really important. And, uh, and if it isn't, that should probably turn you off. If somebody, if you ask them, hey, have you ever been discipled? And they say, what is that? That's a problem. That's a big problem. What do you mean, what is that? <laughs> what is that? I don't know what that is. You're like, oh, you don't know what that is? Find out. Uh, is our, their devotional life, like prayer and reading the Bible, is that a priority to them? Or can they get up and just like go? You didn't pray. Ah, it's all right. <laughs> it's not okay. Now, does everybody pray faithfully all the time, every day? No. No, so there is grace. But there should be conviction. There should be like, dang, I didn't pray today. Or if you bring it up to them, they should be like, yeah, I know I didn't pray. I'm going to try to pray or whatever. There should be a conviction. If there's no conviction, not good. You were going to say something? Yeah, they haven't been discipled. Can we disciple them? No, you can't. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this from experience. It's easier for me to disciple you than for me to disciple my wife. It just is. I know people think, oh, I'll just disciple my wife. No, you're, you're, no, you're not. <laughs> There's certain things that your wife is going to learn, not by what you tell her, but by what she sees. That's how you disciple your wife. Because if you're telling your wife something, but you're not really living it, she lives with you. She's there almost 24-7. She sees everything you do. She's like, she's like the Holy Spirit. She's always there. <laughs> Just joking. I don't mean like in God way, but you know what I mean. She sees everything. So the way you disciple your wife is how you live. It's very hard to disciple your own spouse. Not that it can't happen, but it's not like you can sit down and say, hey, 
you know, the Bible says this. Well, she's going to say like, hey, you didn't wash the dishes and the Bible says this. <laughs> so it's easier for her to come already discipled. Not that it can't happen. It could happen. It's just not that easy. All right, number two, do they know the word of God? Some people think they know the word of God because they hear scripture all their life, especially if they grew up in church. But what I mean is, do they know it and try to live it? It's not like, yeah, I know what that is. But do you really, though? You know what I mean? Did you say number three? That's number two. Two. Well, I'm number five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the stuff that I said that was all number one. <laughs> all right, so number two, do they know the word of God? Um, this one's not one of them, but this came up. Do they value going to church? That's a big one. There's some people that they value going to church while they're looking for a spouse, and they value going to church while they're dating their future spouse. And then when they stop, when they actually get married, they, don't long, they no longer want to go to church, which shows you the motives of why they were going to church. And so when you're looking for somebody, you have to figure that out. Hey, you know, do you really want to be in church? Like, do you value it? Because the Bible says, do not neglect the gathering of the brethren. That's a command. Right? Mm -hmm. You should want to go to church and your spouse should want to go to church because there will be seasons where you're not going to want to go to church and your husband should encourage you to go to church. Mm -hmm. And there will be seasons where your husband don't want to go to church and the wife should encourage the husband to go to church. I don't care how spiritual you are. This happens. But if you don't have somebody that values going to church, the minute you don't want to go to church, you ain't going to church because that spouse doesn't value it. Now, this is a new thing that, oh, you don't have to go to church. That's the, that's the lie from the pits of hell. It just is. There's no way that you can grow in your relationship with God apart from the house of God. You can grow, but it will be limited because God has built this to be in community. You have to be around people. You have to because there's stuff that I'll learn from you and there's stuff that you'll learn from me. And this is how we grow. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. We sharpen each other. But if there's nobody around, you will not be sharpened. Does that make sense? All right, number three, learn to take care of yourself. Don't depend on people, a man or a woman, to take care of you. There's a lot of people that are like this. Oh, I'll just wait to get married and my wife will take care of that. That doesn't mean she will. What if she don't even know how to do that? My wife don't even know how to iron. She knows how to iron clothes. Don't get me wrong, but sorry, <laughs> this is being recorded. <laughs> She knows how to iron clothes, but that's my strong. I know how to iron clothes. It's not like a big value for her. So if I was waiting for my wife, oh, she'll take care of that. No. But see, there's a lot of things that my wife 
does that I'm not strong in. I thought I was good. I thought I was a clean person until I married my wife. And then I feel like I'm the dirtiest person ever. And I was considered a pretty clean person, like organized, my room cleaned and organized. And then my wife came into my life and that just went to a whole other level. I'm like, thank God I married you. Right? And so, but I, I, I also know women that they're like, they don't try to get degrees. They don't try to get experience in jobs. They don't try to get educated. They don't, because they feel like their husband's going to take care of them. You shouldn't do that. You should not, not do that. I'm going I'm to give you a sign of a person like that. While they're single, if they depend on other people to take care of them, friends and family, if, they're, if they can't do stuff for themselves, wash their clothes, organize, they're always, oh, can you do that for me? Can you do this for me? Can you do, no, do it for yourself. Learn to do it for yourself. Because one day, you might have to do it for yourself. You don't know how long it's going to take for you to get married. And what if you get married and your husband or your wife don't know how to do that stuff? You see what I'm saying? You should take care of yourself. It shouldn't be where like, oh, I'm going to depend on my spouse to do this. No, you don't do that. Because little do you know, you come in with a burden to that relationship. Right? Because you're like, oh, I'm carrying all these baggages to put on you because I'm not doing it. Right? And so you start the relationship off where you're carrying somebody. Oh, he don't know how to do this. She don't know how to do this. All that stuff. And then you actually come into the relationship with a strain because, you know, you can't take care of yourself. You can't, you can't do any of that stuff. There's other points that I'm going to make. I was going to put more points on that, but there's more points. So learn to take care of yourself. Amen. Number four, learn to be effective being single. Learn to be effective being single. Effective meaning like discipling people, doing stuff in ministry. Before me and my wife got together, I was heavily involved in ministry. I was already preaching in different churches. My wife was singing. She was working. She had jobs. She had an apartment. She had a car. That's effective. You know what I'm saying? I had a car. I had a job. I was, I was uh, doing ministry. That's effective. If you're waiting to be married to be effective, I promise you, you will not be effective. You had no experience while you were single. It should be that in your single life that you get so busy that you need somebody to help you because you can't handle it. And that's where your wife or your husband comes in. Does that make sense? Now, if your wife is not effective being single, what makes you think she's going to be effective being married? I'll tell you, when you get kids and the busyness of, of a, fa- a busyness of a family comes in, it becomes harder to be effective. It becomes harder to do, to do the will of God. It does not become easier. And so if you're not effective as a single, most likely you won't be effective being married. Or it will be hard. And so let's say you're dropping the ball all over the place being single. Mo- most of the time, 
if not all the time, you will be dropping the ball being married. Right? If you're missing appointments as a single person, you're going to be missing appointments when your kids have dental appointments, health appointments, eye appointments, school appointments. You'll be dropping a ball in all those areas. Why? Because you couldn't do it for yourself. What makes you think you're going to be able to remember for somebody else? Does that make sense? And so if you intend to have a family and have a spouse and all that stuff, start mastering that now. Because when it comes to you, when you have a family, when you have kids, this thing is going to bombard you all at once. And I promise you, you will be overwhelmed. But if you're doing it now, you'll be able to handle it later. Amen? All right. Anybody learning anything? All right. Number five, learn to control yourself. Lustful desires, your anger while you're single. Because if you don't control these desires, lustful and anger and all the other ungodly desires, they turn into adulterous desires when it comes down to lust. I'll read that again. Learn to control yourself, meaning your lustful desires, while you are single, because if you don't control these lustful desires, they turn into adulterous desires. Just because you're married and you're having sex does not mean lust stops. Many times, lust grows. It gets stronger because you have somebody to be intimate with. So in your single life, if you're not being faithful to God, in your married life, that's just going to translate. Because the same spirit that causes you to fornicate is the same spirit that causes you to commit adultery. Does that make sense? Yeah. So is it possible to fornicate with your wife? No, you're allowed to have sex with your wife. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. I'm saying, like, because I'm trying to figure out how to say this. Like, wouldn't it be in love? And like, if you're just for that person, wouldn't the love kind of not be there anymore? No. So you mean, like, if you're intimate with your wife, there'll no longer be lust? Yeah, because, I mean... No. kind of taken care of, so. No, because the thing is, is that in your mentality, you think lust could be satisfied. Lust is never satisfied. You're not with, like, love? You could have lust and lust, but... You could have love, right, for a person. How many... Th- Ooh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit that out of the recording. <laughs> so, in your, and this is a good, good question because a lot of people think this, that when you get married, the lust is going to be controlled. It's not. It's not going to be controlled. Maybe for a moment, maybe for a year or two, but eventually, this is the same person. Right? Sooner or later, you're going to see another person that's attractive. And the devil is a liar. And he's going to make you wonder, well, I wonder how this person is. You see what I'm saying? And if that person starts flirting with you, and let's say you're having a struggle with your family or your wife or your husband, 
and you guys are arguing all the time and you're not getting along at that season and stuff like that and this this woman or man starts stroking your ego and starts saying the right things at the right time, right? I mean, the enemy is going to put thoughts in your mind, especially if you couldn't control yourself as a single person. I've seen it so many times where a single person struggles and they I can control myself, I got to get married, but then that person gets married and they commit adultery because they can't control themselves. It's the same thing. Just because you're intimate with somebody does that mean lust flees? Because like I said, the same spirit that causes you to fornicate, because it is a spirit, will cause you to commit adultery. And you're saying, oh, but I love my wife. How many people have you known that have been married? I love my wife, but I still did this. Because lust is never satisfied. It's just not. How many people would be like, oh, I'm going to watch porn one time. And then you watch it again. I'll just do it this last time. And you do it again. Why? Because lust is never satisfied. It won't. It'll make you believe, I'll just do it one more time and I'll be satisfied. No, it's never satisfied. Lust will tell you, oh, you get married and you'll be good. Oh, you get married and have somebody on the side, you'll be good. Oh, you get married, have somebody on the side and then do this person too, you'll be good. It's never satisfied. It lies to you. It really will. Because now you can be like, well, I guess it's justified, right? Because, you know, I love them all. <laughs> I love all these people, so it's okay. Lust is never satisfied. Love, what love is, what keeps a marriage together is commitment. It's not so much of a feeling. I'm committed to this person. Whether they get me angry whether they insult me, because I made a commitment to this person. That's true love. Love is not a feeling. Love is not her satisfying me and me satisfying her. I'm going to tell you this, as a single person, that might be the big thing. When you're married, that ain't the big thing. That flees after seven years, eight years of marriage, sometimes sooner. The big thing is, are you committed to me? Are we in this together? That's the big thing. Are you there when I really need you? Does that make sense? So the feelings don't really matter? Yeah, feeling, what I'm talking about is the, the desire for sex. Obviously, feelings matter. Of course they do. If you don't have feelings for your wife, that's a problem. <laughs> I'm talking about the, the desire for sex. Right now, as a single person, the desire for sex is probably through the roof. Right, And you want to get married because you're through the roof. But when all that is over, when all that is satisfied, because believe it or not, it will be satisfied. The only thing that's left is your real love for this person. And if you got married just for sex, most likely there's no real love for that person. It was just infatuation. And that's why when I talk to people that are Dating, are you infatuated or do you truly have feelings? Because when you're infatuated with a person, your feelings are through the roof. Or oh, I love this person. Nothing that person can do is wrong. And that's infatuation. Love is, I know everything that person does. Even the wrong things, I still love them. 
I still love them. Infatuation is like, oh, I can't stand that. I can't be with that person no more. No, it's like, I love this person even though this person is like this. Because there's going to be certain things in your spouse. I call it the 80-20 rule. There's going to be 80% of the stuff they do you love. But there's also that 20% that you want to kill them for. But if you can't live with that 20%, that person is not your spouse. But if you look at a person, you love 80% of, what they, of who they are, and you could live with the 20%, most likely that is your spouse. Because nobody's 100%. Does that make sense? Sounds so sad. It's not sad because you have a fantasy in your brain, Will. You have this fantasy. This is real life. <laughs> you probably thought you were going to be running around in white roses. No arguments. This person's not going to get me angry at all. Please. The person that gets you the most angry is probably going to be your spouse. I'm, I'm serious. The person that's going to make you want to kill somebody is your spouse. Most likely. Some people are lucky. <laughs> it's the truth because I'll tell you this. This is a true saying. Somebody said, the best years of my life was when I've been married. And the worst years of my life is when I've been married. It's the both. You get both. Another person said this, like, God does not put marriage together to make you happy. He puts marriage together to make you holy. Meaning he's going to deal with your character. And the most way that God has dealt with me in my life, with my character, is in my marriage. Because you have somebody that's going to tell you how it is. Right? When nobody else is willing to do it, I promise you. Your, your spouse will. She will, he will tell you what's wrong with you. And you're going to think it's a lie, but it's not. Most of the time, it's true. I have a question. Yeah. What if there's more than one person that gets you angry like that? Like, I'm being serious. Like, if there's, like, two or three people that get you angry like that. Like, what do you mean, like, I... I don't know, like... Family? No. Oh. Um, like, let's say you have... I don't know. It's like an example. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make up an example. Like for me, like people that get me really angry it's are like people. The options thing that he was talking about the other time. It's like, but if you have like one, two, or three people, and like they, they have like all the, well, mostly all the characteristics that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. But they get you to that point of anger. Yeah. How would you know? How would you know is the one that you say I know. He gets me upset, but I'm willing to live with that. If the other ones would be like, he gets me so upset that I don't want to see him for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. that's probably not your husband. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one you say, he gets me upset, but I could live with that. I could, I could handle that. Yeah. Now, if it's none of them, then it's none of them. Like, I saw my wife, and she would get me upset. But I will be like, but I, I can handle that. I'm willing to handle that. I'm willing to live with that for the rest of my life. And the same thing with me. Like, she saw me. She, she knew my flaws. And her love was more for me than my flaws. Like, she says, I'm willing to deal with that. And my own mom 
told her, can you deal with this? Because this is what's wrong with them. <laughs> it's horrible for a mom to say that. I was like, really? You're going to say that? But she actually did. And my wife was like, yeah, I'm willing to deal with it. If they're willing to deal with your flaws and you're willing to deal with their, their flaws, then it's a possibility that you, know, you guys are meant to be with each other. So would you recommend um, like a friend or someone like you're not friends with? Well, it depends. I mean, with me and my wife, we were friends for a while before we started dating. In fact, I didn't even like my wife like that before and then we became friends and then we started dating but it doesn't always happen like that I mean obviously they say you should marry a, a, a close friend because obviously you know you guys are connected somehow already but it doesn't have to be like that so what do you think of because uh, I've heard about people sometimes like the uh, because everybody's different some people want to marry somebody like their mother and some people want to marry somebody completely different than their mother but like um, like not exactly like them but like I guess personality type being because let's say you live your whole life and you're living with someone that's always going to give you that attention. Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, you what you're really looking for is somebody that's uh, a nurturer. Like, obviously, if your mom is a nurturer, you'll be like, I want to marry somebody like my mom. But in reality, first of all, that's weird for a woman to hear that, right? <laughs> I've heard women say, I don't want to be his mom. Because that's, they, they, that's what they interpret that as. Right? Like, I don't want my husband to look at me and think of his mom. Because <laughs> that's what they say when you say that. So what you would say is, I want to marry somebody that's a nurturer. Because your mom is a nurturer. That's what I'm not like. No, I know what you... Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> yeah, some people... Like, but there's some people that don't want a nurturing wife. Like, I... I I appreciate my wife when she's nurturing to a certain extent, <laughs> right? Because I, uh, I'm, I don't know why I'm like this, but I'm not the nurturing type. Like so I don't. Define, define like nurturing. Nurturing is like, yeah, she rubs your back, oh, okay. she crushes your face, she wants to cuddle with you at night, she hugs your, she hugs you. You're holding hands down downtown Chicago. I'm not that kind of dude. <laughs> that's not me. So some people are like that, and that's okay. You could be like that. Women, actually, some women will love a, a man like that. I'm just not like that, and my wife knows that, right? So I had to teach her why I'm not like that, because she took it like, like I don't love her, I don't like her. No, I'm just not like that. I'm not that kind of person. Okay, so all the time I've been married 15 years and I have to force myself not because I don't love her I'm just not like that my mom wasn't like that I could count the times my mom said I love you to me and how many times is that? 7 <laughs> 8 that I could remember 
I actually counted <laughs> before. Yeah, also, uh, I've heard of different marriage things, and they talk about how a husband has to be a servant to his wife and the wife a servant. Kind of like deny because you would do that, right? Because like, obviously she wants that. Exactly, yeah. You would have to kind of deny yourself for a moment. Absolutely. Yeah, I do it all the time. Whenever you see me, like, being nurturing to my wife, that's not in my nature to do that. I'm doing it because she likes that. Do you feel awkward when you do it? I do. Love her back. Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> no, now I'm like, I'm okay with it. You know, I'm okay with doing it. Before, I was like killing myself. I was like... Because <laughs> I'm just not that kind of person. You know, my, my love language... Most people, when they want to nurture, their love language is touch. Right, my love language is words of affirmation and gifts. Right, so if my wife says, "You're awesome, you're great, you're an awesome father," that speaks volumes to me. That's that's love for me. If she buy me buys me Jordans, that speaks volumes to me. You know what I mean? I feel like she loves me, but if she rubs me, that touches me, hugs me. That don't do nothing for me, but that, that speaks volumes to her. Even her touching me speaks that I love her by allowing her to do that to me. Do you think, like, over time, you have... I mean, you said it, but, like, do you think it could become a nature to you, or no? I mean, it's been 15 years, <laughs> so I still have to, like, uh, not force myself, but I have to, like, tell myself... Intentionally. Yeah, do this or let her do it because in my nature this is just who i am i'm not like that yeah did she do the before you guys were married mm -hmm. and that kind of filled your love tank what do you mean the words of affirmation yeah yeah she did it so what would you say for a person that's more so like physical touch that's that's what i am more so like that yeah i could tell like <laughs> I'm also like, yeah, put a knife in my throat and just tell me you love me. What, what was your gift? Uh, your love language? Words of affirmation or it touch? Physical, it was physical. Um, physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts and stuff like that. Like, kind of like, yeah, which is great because you're not expensive. That, that's great because they, they don't have to spend money on you. I really don't care for gifts. I'm more so like, I mean, gifts could be like uh, expensive stuff or small stuff. Anything somebody gives me is gonna be like great for me. <laughs> She's giving me a strong. Oh, thank you so much. But uh, what was your question again? I'm saying like for a physical touch person, will it? I'm not saying will it be different, but will it just be like, like. I don't know. Like, what do you mean, like for her towards you? Yeah, because I'm like. No, well, you gotta let her know. This is how this is how you communicate love to me because she might interpret. Like for example, if she had another boyfriend that his love language is different, she's gonna assume that that's your love language. Mm. But everybody's different. I'm like, put, you, put the knife in my neck. Yeah, tell me you love me. This is being recorded, by the way. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, you would, you have to communicate your love language. And if you don't know it, there's a test online, the five love languages, and you have to find that out. 
Um, because when you're dating somebody, you have to let them know what it is. Because they're not going to know. I mean, they could figure it out eventually. Because <clears throat> some people will be like, oh, you like gifts. That's selfish. No, that's my love language. That's how I feel love. So it's not one love language isn't better or more sinful than the other. It's just what it is. It's how you feel love. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to know. Did I answer your question? No. Okay. So what number was I on? I think like going to six. Six. Five. Okay, five was uh, learn to control yourself, lustful desires while you're single. Or they turn into adulterous desires. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. Um, in the verse where Jesus says, if you lust towards someone, you automatically commit adultery in your heart with them. I understand that when the person you're lusting towards is married, but how is it adultery when that person is not married? That's a good question. Uh, a lot of people think that when you commit adultery, it's fornication physically. It's adultery spiritually. Mm-hmm. Because you're ultimately committed to Christ. Mm-hmm. You see, and so he says, when you lust after a person, and that's against the word of God, not only are you sinning, mm-hmm. right? Because of your lustful thoughts, but you're committing spiritual adultery with me. Because that, that's against our relationship. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so... That's how many people interpret that scripture. Oh, you're spiritually married with God? Mm-hmm. Okay. But you're also, you're also in your heart, you're committing fornication with that person. Your heart. hmm Which means that's why I say if you can't control the physical aspect of having sex while you're single, most likely... If the opportunity comes up while you're married, you're not going to be able to control it either. There's really no difference. The only thing is, is that you're married to somebody. You see what I'm saying? And then now you get to the place where, okay, let's say somebody does get you to that point of lusting after them, but you don't commit adultery after, uh, with that person, but you go home and now you sleep with your husband and your wife. But are you really thinking about your wife and your husband while you're sleeping with them? Or are you thinking about this person, which again, you're committing adultery in your heart? You see what I'm saying? So this is a whole aspect of stuff that happens that if you don't deal with it while you're single, most likely you can't deal with it while you're married. So I have a question to kind of tie into that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's considered lusting. I think it's desiring your wife because when it comes to your wife, that's your wife. You see, you could desire your wife as much as you want or your husband. That's like, that's what the marriage bed is for. The Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled. Mm-hmm. Now, you can interpret that however you want, but undefiled. That means. Pretty much anything goes. Fair game. I mean, that's how I look at that. If you want to look at it differently, that's on you. 
And so I think lusting after your wife, if lust is the correct word, because lust is forbidden desire, you see, but lusting after your wife, that's not forbidden. That's actually encouraged. So desiring your wife, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm assuming that your wife would want you to desire her. I mean, and vice versa. All right, number six, focus on character and not just gifts and looks. This is the main point here. Do they have integrity? You said focus on character and not looks. And gifts. Because a lot of people are gifted spiritually. That doesn't mean they have character. Gifts are, are exactly that. They're gifts. They're not earned. You see... So just because they're gifted, a gifted preacher, a gifted person in the church and stuff, does not mean they have character or integrity. And so you should look for integrity. Integrity is what? Who they are when no one is looking. Are they the same person? Do they do what they say they're going to do? Or are they constantly changing? A person that's constantly changing, they don't have integrity. When the pressure's on, do they still tell the truth or do they start lying? If they start to lie, when the pressure's on, they don't have integrity. Integrity is big, especially in marriage. It's huge. Integrity, a person with no integrity, they have secrets. They have secrets. You don't want to marry somebody that has secrets. Because if they have secrets, sooner or later they'll have secrets from you. And that's not good. You should know who you're married to. All right, number seven. What is your reputation? What do the closest people say about them? What is their reputation? What, is, what do the closest people say about them? What do their parents say about them? What do their sister and brother say about them? What do their best friends say about them? They're great, but if you get them angry, they'll throw you out the window. (laughs) 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 They're great, but if you get them angry, they'll throw a frying pan at you. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's their reputation. Because to you, obviously, they're going to put up the best thing. They're going to show the best face in front of you until you're married. And that's why you do your own little investigation and say, hey, are they racist? <laughs> do they like people? How about kids? Do they like kids? Dogs? How do they treat their dog? Ah, he killed a few of them. Oh, exactly. You see? <laughs> There's people like that. Like, they don't look at animals like God cares about them. This is scripture. God does care about animals and how you treat them. They are. People that easily kill animals, most likely they are easily kill you. Just saying, putting it out there. <clears throat> what is your reputation, right? Because, you know, people look diligent in front of you, but if you go home, they're lazy. They wake up late. Now, there's nothing wrong with waking up later, taking naps. Nothing wrong with that. But if this is their life, they constantly wake up late. Mm. That's not good. The Bible says a little sleep 
a little folding of the hands, and poverty will pounce on you. That's what the Bible's Proverbs, yeah. That means a lot, a lot of sleep, a lot of laziness equals poverty. That means you're gonna be broke. So, no, not spiritually, physically. Poverty is real, right? So look at how they are organized. They don't have to be. They don't have to be perfect. But are they a hard worker? Do they try to keep things organized? Are they always broke? Not good. All right, number eight. Do they add value to your life? <clears throat> and does your life add value to theirs? If it's lopsided, one of you isn't ready to be in a relationship. Do they add value to your life? Or, or do they take away from your life? If your prayer life does not improve, if your spiritual life does not improve, if you don't feel like you're getting closer to your calling next to this person, most likely it's not time yet or that's not the person. They should help you. This is another misconception that if you're called to be a pastor, that means your wife have to be, be called to be a pastor. And that's not true. Okay, if you're called to be a pastor, but let's say she's called to be just a good wife and a good mother, that's good. That's what she's called to do. She don't have to be in ministry just because you're in ministry. There's a lot of pastors, and there's some really big-time pastors that they're pastors, but their wife is not in ministry. They just... Their calling is to serve their husband and raise their, their kids. They're not in ministry. They don't, want, they, don't, they don't run the women's ministry. They don't make announcements. They don't sing. They don't preach. They don't do child care. All they do is serve their husband, come to church faithfully, and serve their kids. Nothing wrong with that. Some women are actually called to do that. <clears throat> and some women actually want to do that. And that shouldn't be looked down upon that's what they're called to do just like there's some men they're not called to be pastors they're called to work hard provide for their family be there for their wife support them if they're in full-time ministry like joyce myers her husband is not she he works for her ministry now but he's not preaching he's not the main person his wife is you see and so that's his calling <clears throat> and so we can't like, put everybody in one junk box and say, this is the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of the time, thank God I'm blessed to have a wife that she wants to be involved in ministry and she helps me a lot in ministry. But if she wasn't, that's fine too. There's nothing wrong with that. Some women are just not called to do that and some men are not just called to do that. So, if that makes sense. kind of reminds me of the movie A Star is Born. I don't think I've ever seen that. Anybody who's in that movie? I heard of it. Darn. I was going to add a joke in there, but forget it. Okay. Number nine. <clears throat> this is big, too. And um, a pastor of mine uh, told me to do this looking for a mate. He said, watch the person 
go through trials and hardships because this will reveal their true character. Watch the person go through trials and hardships. If the person easily gives up on everything through trials and hardships, then they still need to grow. Watch the person. Watch your future person that, you're date, that you want to date and stuff like that. Watch them go through hardship. <clears throat> if they stop praying, if they stop going to church, if they start cussing up a storm, start losing their character, that is a very good revealer of who they really are. Because character is not shown in good times. Character is shown through bad times. It's when the pressure's on. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So how do you watch them? You watch them at a distance. <clears throat> you hear their conversations and stuff like that. All right, number 10. <clears throat> watch how they handle money. If they're always blowing all their money... That should be a red flag. If, don't, if they don't pay their bills, but they're buying shoes and coats and shirts and stuff they don't need, that's a red flag. Because what's going to happen when you're married? Right? Okay. Jordans are out. Right? They come out in two days. They're 200 bucks. Right? But your light bill is due. And that's 150 bucks. You think... Your husband is going to pay for the light bill. But he goes and gets some Jordans and forgets about the light bill. And then now, let me just tell you how it is. And I'm going to go right up to your... Make you really uncomfortable. Ready? Okay. Tuition is due. Right? And you owe this amount of money. But then you see these nice shoes at Target. And they're almost the same amount that you owe of tuition. And then you buy these shoes instead of paying your tuitions. You fast forward that and you're the same as the person that didn't pay their light bill but bought Jordans. You see how that works? Yes. And so if you learn this now, you won't have that problem later as a husband or wife. Right? Because it's no different. It's keeping a roof over your head during masters and keeping your lights on. It's the same thing. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so this is why you need to look at how they treat money, how they handle money. Right? If they have five coats, okay. How many coats do you really need? If you're trying to look rich, and you ain't even got a job, not good. Because what it means is this person is going to try to look rich when they ain't got no money while you married. Right? It goes back to the story about people having expensive trucks, expensive shoes, and they're getting kicked out of their house. See what I'm saying? A lot of people that you see that, you know, have money, look at their cars most of the time. They're not expensive. Yeah, the people that you know, maybe. But if you look at Bill, if you look at people that are, are have wealth, they don't spend money on things that don't bring money back to them. 
the difference between assets and liabilities. Does anybody know the difference between assets and liabilities? Okay. A liability is a car. That's not an asset. Asset is stuff that brings money to you. Right? A job, that's an asset. Right? If you buy an apartment building and you rent it out and it brings money, it pays for the building and then puts money in your pocket, that's an asset. A liability is a car. Why? Because the minute you drive it off the lot, it depreciates a few thousand dollars. So that means the next day, if you try to sell it, let's say you bought a car today, brand new, 19000 The minute you drive it off the lot, that thing is worth 15000 The minute you drive it off the lot, it drops down a few thousand dollars. So you come back the same day, you're not going to get $19,000 for it. Well, actually, after three days, because that's the new, that's the law. After three days, it's not going to be worth $19,000. It's going to be worth $18,000, $17,000. You already lost money on it. That's a liability. That's taking money from you. Does that make sense? Do we need a car? Obviously, we do need a car, right? And so that's a necessity. But when you're buying, let's say, let's go, no, let's go to the phones, right? If you have a phone and it works well, but the new iPhone comes out, mm-hmm. right? This is a liability. It's a necessity, but it's a liability. This doesn't put money in my pocket. Unless I use this phone and then it does bring me, because the businesses that I take, this is a necessity. But in reality, this is considered a liability because it takes money from me. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And so that, that's important. You have to look at stuff that the future person that you're going to date, how many assets do they have? If they own a home, that's a good thing. If they have a car, that's a good thing, right? Even though it's an asset, it's a necessity, right? You have to get around, right? If, they, if they're frugal, what does frugal mean? It's, it's, you know, they take care of the money. They have a savings account. They have money. They're not flashy. They don't always try to get the newest thing. Even though if you have the money to do it, you, you can do it. Bottom line is, if the person that you're dating is always broke, that's because they don't know how to handle money. You don't want to be with somebody that's always broke, and yet they have two jobs. How are you always broke? That means they're not handling their money wisely. And that's important. Because I'll tell you this, the number, one of the number one reasons why people get divorced is money. It is. And so um, it's important. It's important how the person that you're dating handles money. And so that's stuff you have to look into. Do they have debt? I'll be really honest with you. Um, you shouldn't get married with debt. You shouldn't, you shouldn't bring uh, debt into a marriage. Mm-hmm. If they're bringing debt, unless they own a home. If they own a home, okay, that's good debt. Right? If they own a car, that's good debt. But I'm talking about credit cards. I'm talking about you spend $5,000 on a coat. Trying to look rich, huh? How about schooling? Schooling, I mean, uh, that's okay too because you're investing in yourself. But if you could pay that off, that would be good. But I'm talking more about credit card debt. Like, there's good, good stuff like a house, car, and education, those three things, those are good debts. Eventually, that's going to benefit you, all right? I'm talking about credit card debts. I'm talking about unnecessary debt, like 
you know, for whatever reason, you wanted to buy Jordans off of Stadium Goods or whatever that place is called, and you put it on a credit card. That's, that's not good debt, right? You should pay all that off before you get into a marriage. Because I promise you that debt is going to strain your relationship. Because money brings problems. It does. So if both of you come into a relationship with no debt, then it's good stuff. So what if the reason you have a couple coats is because you see them at 